Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. Thank you for coming this evening. Um, I'll just be picking up where I left off. I think it was May last time I filled in. So we're going to keep chugging through Genesis. So we're going to be in Genesis 4 if you're wanting to follow along. Genesis chapter 4. After the fall, the next event we read in Genesis is that of Cain and the murder of his own brother. Genesis 4 is told with the focus on Cain. Timelines are vague and many details are inferred. The importance of Genesis 4 is not a detailed chronology of the early days outside the garden, but rather the story of how humanity's firstborn shortchanged God, committed fratricide, and was indifferent to his crime, was selfish, and was cut off from the redemptive line of Jesus. His poor decisions serve as a warning to us on how we need to be in control of our emotions and not give into sinful desires. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. When was Cain born? Was it immediately after the expulsion from Eden, or was it sometime later? Using the genealogy in chapter 5, we can infer that Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 through 16 happened before 130 years post-creation. I personally believe that Cain and Abel were born not too long after the fall because there needed to be time for the earth to populate. Later we read of, of Cain's fear of retribution from people that he would encounter. This implies that by the time he murders his brother, there are full-grown mature people that have spread out and left Adam and Eve to start lives of their own. So while we do not know the exact time when Cain kills, it's safe to assume that it was decades after the fall. When Cain was born, Eve acknowledges that his birth is from God. She recognizes that life comes from God, and as a result, she names him Cain, which sounds like the word forgotten, brought forth, or acquired. It seems like she believes that Cain is the offspring referred to in Genesis 3.15, since she refers to him as a man rather than a child or baby at his birth. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
An interesting item to note is this is the last time that Eve is referred to by her name until the New Testament. Maybe it's to emphasize that this is the start of humanity since her namesake refers to giving life and being the mother of all living. Or maybe not. I don't know for sure. After uh, Cain's birth, Eve once again has a son. So when was Abel born? Well, there's some traditions that believe that he was Cain's twin brother because it's not explicitly stated that Adam lied with Eve, as in the case with the birth of Cain and Seth. They, they make the assumption that Abel was born immediately after as a twin. I don't believe that because in Genesis, whenever there are twins being born, such as Jacob and Esau and Perez and Zerah, it's clearly stated in the text that they are twins. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, the Bible leaves a lot open with this passage. Could Abel be Eve's second child? He could. Could he have been the tenth child? Perhaps. But in any case, it doesn't matter because the important thing is that Cain was firstborn and that Abel is his younger. We read that Cain and Abel bring to God an offering. We are told if this is we are not told if this is part of regular worship, as in the case with tabernacle and temple sacrifice, or if this is a special offering. Regardless, we must assume that they've been told either by God or by Adam and Eve as to what an appropriate sacrifice or offering is and why they must do it. Both brothers gave an offering that was a result of their labor. Cain, a worker of the ground, brought his produce, and Abel, a herdsman, brought sheep. God approved of Abel's offering but rejected Cain's. Why is that? Is it because Abel's sacrifice in blood... uh, Abel's uh, offering involved a blood sacrifice while Cain's was only plants? No, because after God blesses Jacob in Genesis chapter 35, Jacob sets up an altar and he pours a drink offering on it in response. In Leviticus 2, we have instructions for proper grain offerings. And Numbers 15 describes how to give a drink offering in the tabernacle. If God required shed blood for a proper offering then why is it prescribed for proper worship in the tabernacle and temple? Furthermore, why would God instruct the Israelites to gather the first fruits when they enter the promised land and present them before the altar of the Lord if he would not accept non-animal offerings? Obviously, it's not what is being given, but how. Abel gave the firstborn of the flock. Cain did not give his first fruits. He did not give his best to God. We can be like that too. Oh, I'll tithe once I have this boat paid off. I'll volunteer to clean at the church once my own house is clean. Well, now that I've worn this item out, I guess I can donate it to the church. We don't always give God our best or our first. Our heart heart needs to be in the right place. We need to give out a joy and gladness, not begrudgingly or out of obligation. It takes faith to give. Well, I still have enough money to pay all my bills. Will I have time to get everything done? Am I able to serve in that capacity at church? I don't think I'm good enough. Those are thoughts that we have. But we can look to Abel as our example. Uh, Hebrews says this about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. 
through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. After Cain uh, had his offering rejected, he became very angry. You can almost imagine him sulking about. God confronts him and explains to him that you can either do what's right and be accepted or give in to your sin and be rejected. He is warning Cain that if you entertain sin, it will become master over you. The language used in the phrase, sin is crouching at the door, is the same language you would use to describe an animal laying down in repose. It seems like it's of no danger to you, but it could move quickly to strike you. Think of a lion laying on the ground. You get too near to, near to it, and it will strike. If you think that sinful desires are docile and of little consequence, be prepared to be hurt. God, in his grace, though, gives Cain an opportunity to make right in his offering. But sadly, Cain rejects it and instead gives in to his anger. Genesis 4, verses 8 through 12. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So this passage mirrors Adam sinning in the garden. Both, both of them sin, and then God confronts them, asking rhetorical questions. God knows exactly where Abel is and what happened to him, just like God knew exactly where Adam was hiding. He asked Cain a question as a way for him to admit his guilt. But unlike his father, Cain does not confess his sin. Instead, he is indignant and lies to God. Cain knows exactly where Abel is. He left, to, left him dead in the field. He also tries to deflect and say, am I my brother's keeper? He is so unremorseful that he even denies that he has any responsibility towards his younger brother. I'm the middle child. I felt the protection and guidance from my older brother, and I've given likewise to my younger. It's natural for the elder to care and love for the younger. For Cain to deny this, this calling shows a complete lack of love for his brother and shows that he is only concerned with himself and his own sinful desires. Obviously, Abel's blood is not literally making an audible sound. God is using figurative language to make clear to Cain his guilt and that his murder has not gone unnoticed. Now that Cain is keenly aware of God's knowledge, his punishment is given. His livelihood, tilling the earth, will now be fruitless. Once again, God shows that he is the source of life. No matter how hard he may try, Cain will not be able to make crops grow. No longer can he live in his home, but he has been cast out. You would think that Cain would be appreciative of God's mercy, as his crime deserves a much stronger punishment. God makes this clear uh, when he tells Noah, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And in Deuteronomy, 
But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of the innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. And again in Numbers we see, if anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. The full punishment for murder is death, yet God spares Cain. Rather than him being thankful, Cain now complains. Genesis four thirteen through 16. Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain is afraid he will be killed for his crime. This is a logical assumption, since the punishment for murder is death. However, God assures him that he will not be killed. God puts a mark on Cain, alerting people that they will be harmed if they kill Cain. Again, here the text is vague. What exactly is this mark? The Hebrew word is usually translated as sign when found elsewhere in the Bible. Some translations, such as the NASB and its successor, the LSB, use sign instead of mark uh, when referring to Cain. When the Hebrew word for sign is used elsewhere in the Bible, it is referring to visible signs of a covenant. For example, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs for seasons and for days and years. And... I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And also, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When the commandment for circumcision is given to Abraham, the same word sign is used. What is the commonality between all these cases of the word sign? It's that they are all a literal and physical designation that can be seen to denote something. So we can safely infer that the mark or sign given to Cain is a real and physical phenomenon. Some speculate that it may may have been a tattoo or perhaps a scar. Some traditions hold that Cain was given a mark on his forearm, while others, citing the passage in Ezekiel, when God commands an angel to mark the foreheads of the righteous to spare them from judgment, believe that the mark of Cain is on his forehead. Regardless, the mark of Cain is a visual indicator showing that he is under God's protection. It is not a punishment as people have wrongly believed in the past. Unfortunately, in early American Christianity, there is the belief that the mark of Cain was dark skin. They then use that as a justification for slavery. We can immediately cast that belief into the rubbish pile as false and a lie. 
Cain's, li- Cain's line dies out in the flood. So him and his mark could not be the progenitor of African people. Additionally, his mark was not a punishment, but it was a mercy and a protection. Cain then travels east, and he's no longer in the presence of God. A good reminder to us that unrepentant sin will cut us off from God. He settles in the land of Nod, which means wandering. Cain and his offspring then create a godless civilization. Genesis four seventeen through 22. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the, other, the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Again, we have another question from the text. Who is Cain's wife and where did she come from? This is a passage that atheists like to bring out when they try to say that the Bible is not something to be trusted. So we're going to look into it a little bit here. More than likely, Cain's wife would have been Cain's sister. To modern sensibilities, that seems wrong and more than a little gross. However, at this point in time, there was not the prohibition about marrying one sister or half-sister. That prohibition wouldn't come into effect until 2,500 years later. And as for the ick factor, we are rightly disgusted by a close marriage in our time because of deformity and or disorders that are passed on when people who are too closely related have a child. This would not be an issue for the early days of mankind. Adam and Eve were created fully formed, and they were very good. There was no sin. There was no fall yet. They had perfect genetics. However, because of their sin, all the earth has been cursed and has been negatively affected. Because of sin, mutations can arise, and perfect DNA is now tainted. Those mutations are passed down, and if both parents carry the gene, it's more likely to express itself as a disorder or deformity. You can think of it like this. When you make a photocopy of an original, it turns out okay. Then if you make a photocopy of a photocopy, you lose some quality. If you keep making copies of those copies, your quality degrades considerably. So we're at the very start. They've just made the first copy off the Xerox. It's still looking good. So it seems weird, seems gross, but you've got to think that all of humanity was starting from just two people. So where's everyone else going to come from? They're going to be your close relatives. And again, that will happen post-flood where it's just uh, three brothers that everything comes off of. So just be glad that we're past that phase now. We don't have to, we don't have to find our, uh, our 
our partner at the family reunion. Cain then builds a city and he names it after his son, Enoch. Cain and his family are cut off from God and they create a civilization without him. A genealogy is given and we see that sin continues through Cain's line. Lamech violates God's design of marriage. Right after creation of Adam and Eve, we're given the command, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We see that Cain's descendants, however, though, they're prosperous, they're industrious, they're highly intelligent, yet they are without God. This genealogy stands in contrast to the one that you will read later in chapter 5. Cain's line is Adam, Cain, Enoch, Ired, Mahujael, Methusael, and Lamech as the seventh generation. And as stated earlier, and that we'll read about further, Lamech is not a godly man. Let's contrast that with Seth's line. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahaliel, Jared, and Enoch as the seventh generation. Enoch was exceedingly godly. Enoch walked with God, and he was not found, for God took him. Or put another way, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is why we have a genealogy of a line that ends with the flood. It's not... Sorry, my page out of order there. There we go. It's not to hold the Cainites up in high regard. If you notice, their line just has their names. doesn't say how old they were, when they died, when they had children. Genesis 5 has dates and names and things. So it's not to hold them in high regard. It's to show that God's redemptive line flowed through Seth rather than through the firstborn Cain. And it is to show that even with your human ingenuity, you're nothing apart from God. Genesis 4, verses 23 through 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So this here is actually a poetry or a song, the way that it's, it's written in the Hebrew. And it's the, the only song that we have before the flood that's, that survives. And it's here, Lamech uh, bragging to his wives that he killed a young man for hitting him. Um, the young man here, the way that you can look into the definition of that word, it's not so much like someone in their 20s but it's more of like middle school, high school aged, if you relate it to, to our thinking. So here Lamech is, he's, he's bragging to his wives that he killed the middle schooler because the middle schooler hit him. So he takes God's promise of protection 
from retribution to Cain, and he twists it into a brag. He proclaims that while his ancestor would have vengeance seven times, that he, Lamech, will dole out revenge 77 times. But notice how he changes it from vengeance taken on Cain to revenge. So somehow through the generations, as the story was told, Cain's family took it as that the mark was about revenge rather than protection that God was giving. The line of Cain, it's continuing to degrade and become more sinful. This is the path man will take when God is not part of their lives. Contrast that with God's design and intention for man. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Man says to take revenge 77 times. God says to forgive 77 times. Genesis 4, 25 through 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he, was, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So despite the sin in the world, despite all the corruption, God still provides a means for our redemption. Immediately after the fall, God promises that humanity will be redeemed. Cain chose to defy God. Seth lived for God. The promise of redemption flows through him rather than Cain because Seth and his line obeyed God. They returned to God and called upon the name of the Lord. Two branches from the same family with two very different outcomes. One lives for self, one lives for God. We should strive to live our lives like Abel and not entertain and give in to sin like Cain. God prompted Cain to master his sin, but he still gave in to it. He put all his trust into his, in himself and his own desires. We need to have faith in God, not ourselves. We need to serve and obey. <clears throat> I'm going to leave us here with 1 John 3.12. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one. Sorry, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. <coughs> Sorry there. So I'm going to close this out with a prayer and then we can have a little discussion if you'd like. I know that was a little short. Um, the problem is then the next big story is too long to squeeze into the extra and it, I, it, it felt weird ending on a genealogy and being like, all right, Noah's born. I'll see you guys in October, and we'll finish from there. So, so we're going we're gonna to wait. We'll save that for October when he has me come back, and we'll, uh, we'll continue with Noah there. But we can, we'll, we'll pray, and then we can have a little discussion or questions if people have some, and then hang out until the kids are ready to go home. Lord, we thank you that 
that you've always had a way for us to be redeemed and forgiven of our sin. And we thank you that you have opened it up to us as Gentiles to be grafted into the family and that uh, we can be saved through Jesus. We pray that you help us through the Holy Spirit to uh, fight our temptations and not give in to sin. And pray that you help us to renew our mind and be thinking of you through the day and rather than dwelling on our emotion and our sin and what our heart desires. We pray that you help us to seek after you and to serve and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? Yes. There's not. There's lots of speculation. Um, some people think it's like immediately, like Adam and Eve, they name the animals and then they go and they sin. Um, I personally, that just doesn't feel right to me. Like, that's just, I don't know. That's some people's thought. Some people is that it's like the next day. Other people think that they were in the garden for longer, but there's no indication of how much time was spent before they sinned and were expelled. So that's, that's the, the thing uh, with the beginning of Genesis is um, there's not a lot of firmness with the dates of things. It's basically like the concept of what happened and not so much uh, like you've got later with, you know, like Book of Kings where they give specific years where things happen. So... Um, Part of how people estimate when the flood happens is they go backwards from dates that we do know and they follow the genealogies backwards. But again, it doesn't say when, uh, you know, when they left the garden. It just says that they they sinned and they were, they were, they were cut off. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's some people that think that there was multiple writers and that the one writer misheard things wrong and wrote the name wrong and that those two genealogies are supposed to be the same. Um, that's some people's theory. There's other people's theory that uh, what's happening with Cain's line is that it's a corrupted version of what things should have been, so the names are slightly different. Um, and then there's other people that have the thought of, well, there's lots of people in the Bible that have the same name. They might have just picked that name because they liked, they liked it. So those are sort of the, two, the three main camps. But there, there is uh, overlap in the names. And some people have done some real crazy stuff where you take the lists and you do diagonal lines on some and flip some names that it does a certain order and this and that. And I think that's just people navel-gazing too hard with that. Um, I personally just think that it's they, they liked that name and like with the Hebrew meant with the name more so than like, oh, 
well, I heard that my brother has a kid named this, so I'm going to. Because um, with Cain, his firstborn is Enoch, and then it's not till uh, the the seventh for Seth that it's then Enoch. And so um, I don't think there's any particular correlation that way. But you can find some books with some crazy theories if you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I would say with that is that Jesus quotes from Genesis throughout the Gospels, and so obviously he regarded it as as uh, something to take take hold of. And um, Hebrews, you can think of Hebrews as the first commentary of the Old Testament. It regards those as actual people that did those actual events. So that would that would be my answer to you is that the people living through the New Testament thought that these were real people. Mm-hmm. That being said, you know, does that mean they were remaining here? Well, well, that that that's what we were talking about earlier. Is that we don't know how long they were in, in the yeah. garden, and no, no, when people when people get that uh, that number, it's them going backwards from what we do know. And so, part of how they get those dates is uh, there's other historic events that have happened that. Uh, overlap with the Bible, and then they were able to to cross-reference that. So one of them was uh, they were able to, because you can calculate back when there was different eclipses and things, and so they found a record of one particular eclipse, and they balanced that with, okay, that happened in this year of that king, and blah, 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 blah. And that's how they were able to pinpoint the stuff like with uh, King David, the actual years with that. So that's our advantage here in the future is people have done all that math for us, so we can uh, we can uh, you know trust in that, and we we've got more knowledge than people did uh, hundreds of years ago. They it, to me it's it's I think it's easier to be a believer these days because there's been so much study on it. Whereas before, a lot of it you just had to take completely on faith, 
and it's only been in the last couple hundred years that different archaeological uh, digs have found some of these things in the Bible that some people just didn't believe uh, could happen. Like with uh, Samson, how he's in the temple of, of Dagon. People are going, well, why would you build a thing where you've got two little pillars in the middle? And Well, then they ended up digging some up in the 1800s. But if you're going through the Enlightenment and you're one of those Enlightenment thinkers, you'd go, ah, Samson is completely made up because no one would build like that. No one would have a temple like that. He'd never be able to tear it down. But then later people dug it up. So that's sort of the advantage we have now is we can build on the knowledge that the other people have done. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what he that's what it says in there. He he had his chance to repent and turn and he he chose not to. It's the the same thing with people today. They can accept Jesus or they can turn their back. There's no there's no lukewarm. Yeah, and that's one of the mysteries is how many times will God let someone keep sinning before God just says, okay, you want to live on your own, you're going to live on your own. Because sometimes in the Bible, someone sins, well, end of the story, they're done, they're killed, and then other people, they're given a bunch of chances and things, so it's, it's one of those mysteries that we won't, we won't be able to know until we're up there in heaven. It could have could have been a niece, but it just depends. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. The very beginning stuff, the details are more more fuzzy. It's not really until you get to chapter twelve that uh, things are a little firmer. There, when you when the focus goes to to Abraham, so you've got Genesis one through eleven is like the foundation of the earth and sin and how it all starts and then 12 on is then the start of of the Israelites. So that's where you've got the more uh, less vagaries with things happening. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think you could really calculate that out with without making lots and lots and lots of assumptions. I, I think it's best to um, just to read the Bible and don't add in. There's a lot of 
traditions through the years of things where people have done things like they've come up with a name for Cain's wife and um, it, if you believe what they came up with, it changes it because it turns out that Cain and Abel were fighting over her and this and that. And so it's people making stuff up to fill in details, but then in doing so, dilute the actual real purpose of the text and change the meaning. So I personally shy away from the digging into the stuff that's like, all right, I'm going to solve the unsolvable answer for you, and here it is, because it's just a lot of, in my opinion, them uh, writing into it to make it fit and work for them. I'm fine with it being vague of that we don't know who she is, and that we don't know exactly when they left Eden. I'm okay with that. I'd rather do that than end up getting led astray and sort of missing the forest through the trees type of deal there. But yeah, through the centuries, people have made up a lot of interesting things about about Genesis. So it's best to just stick directly with with the biblical text and not go for all the extras. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, he's just trying to teach you the key points here in the beginning of, you know, why why is our world in a mess? And explain it's because of sin, and then giving examples of what sin does. And I think that's more of the importance of of Genesis rather than it being a a textbook on history in the sense that we record history. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's got a very soothing voice. Yeah. I don't think you'll find a Bible teacher that you agree 100% on everything with. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, and uh, I guess you guys can sort of just hang out until your kids are ready. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.